0: Well, good morning, church family. No, this isn't some type of uh, trick. I'm not in the building. This is late Saturday night. I'm in my office recording this for Sunday morning. This weekend, we were visited by the dreaded stomach virus. Uh, John David picked it up Wednesday, and my wife and I both had it Friday evening. So that was, with still a sick baby, you know how that goes, that was pretty difficult. But anyway, uh, today I've been kind of recovering, and I finally felt good enough to get a recorded message. And, um, um, so if you're if you're seeing this, I wasn't able to make it Sunday morning, and hopefully I'll get through this. And uh, it won't be the most professional <laughs> recording that you've ever seen, but God's word will be preached this evening. And so we look about we look forward to hearing uh, from God's word. Well, as I mentioned, John David was sick this weekend, and it's always pathetic when little ones get sick. And for whatever reason, uh, he's more attached to me than the other three children were or are. So even if, if I was at the office or, or driving around town, uh, Emily says he would often ask for me when he was sick. Uh, if I had to leave, he would cry. Uh, I'd hold him, I'd tell him I'd be right back. And, when, and whenever I tell him I'll be right back, I come back. Uh, never have I ever told him that I would be back and I have not returned. So because of that, he trusts me and he believes me when I tell him that I'll be back. In the Bible, Jesus has promised multiple times that he would return. He hasn't yet. But because he's good, because he's God, because he's faithful and true, we know that one day he will return. So what should we do? How should we live? And today we're going to look at how we can have hope in Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... You have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day is to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We might live with him therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing heavenly father as we continue to worship here today lord we we thank you that we can come into your place today and that through the miracle of technology that i can get this sermon preached and seen and viewed sunday morning with god's people worshiping you in spirit and in truth or let us be encouragers as we encourage others With this passage, that no matter how difficult our lives are, no matter what we're going through, we can take solace in the truth that one day you will be coming back. Lord, I pray that you speak through me today, that you fill me with your spirit, that you give me the strength to complete this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to give you three truths concerning the return of Jesus, three truths concerning the return of Jesus. Number one, the return of Jesus will be surprising to the world. The return of Jesus will be surprising to the world. Verse one says that, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Paul says it's not necessary to write about when Jesus would return. The Thessalonians disregarded this statement, so he spends time in his second letter giving more information, which we'll get into in a minute. Luke says in Acts chapter 1 this, he says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, when Jesus comes back, when that happens is God's prerogative. He should not overly concern the people of God. We have been given a mission uh, but not necessarily a roadmap. Matthew twenty four fourteen says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, when Jesus speaks about his return, he doesn't refer to the times. He refers to what scholars call the condition. When the conditions in the world are right, then Jesus will come back. If we do our part as the church, Christ will come back sooner. But the point is that Christians shouldn't be surprised when Jesus returns. The unbelieving world, however, will be surprised. Verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. See, a thief breaks in when it's unexpected. To the world, Jesus' return will seem unexpected. Matthew 24, 43 says this, But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into in fact preceding the coming of Christ will be a false sense of security verse 3 says that while people are saying there is peace and security then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 if you're alive or old enough to remember, you'll remember exactly where you were the day you heard that the Twin Towers were attacked. I remember I was working, I was in college and I was working part-time at a place in Columbia, a government office. And uh, I remember I called Emily, who was my, my wife, who's my girlfriend, because her dad was supposed to fly into New York that day. And I probably called her around 9 a.m. and she was still sleeping. She didn't have to go to class quite yet. And I woke her up and I said, where's your dad? And she was all confused, she had no idea what had happened. And uh, so I said, turn the TV on and she turned it on and she said, oh, uh, my dad's flight got canceled so he didn't have to go. But I remember how I felt as a 21 year old college student on September 10th, the day before 9-11. I felt relative peace, I felt security. But the next day, when no one knew where the next attack would occur, we all felt insecure we all felt threatened i remember my father was working at the naval base and they evacuated him and that was the first time i remember really feeling vulnerable and prone to attack but how we all felt on september 10th this will be how the world feels before jesus returns there'll be relative peace there'll be relative security everything will seem fine and then jesus will return and just like When labor pains come upon a woman, and there is no escape from them, there will be no escape from the return of Christ. His return will be a surprise to the unbelieving world. I remember the last baby that my wife gave birth to. uh, Those labor pains came on quick. And we were in the car in traffic trying to get to the hospital, and there was no escape. She was trying to escape the pains and nothing we could do. That's how the return of Jesus will be to a surprised and unbelieving world. Secondly, the return of Jesus should be expected by the church. The return of Jesus should be expected by the church. Verse 4 says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. In other words, we should be alert to the signs of the time so that we will not be caught off guard. Paul gave the Thessalonians a concession and explained more about the details in his next letter. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4, through verse 3, says this, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God claiming himself to be God. And when the, the man of lawlessness does this, the world will go along with it. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12 through says this, that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion So that they may be, they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Some Christians fear the possibility of the Antichrist. Sometimes people ask me if I think a certain person is the Antichrist, and I always say, you know, maybe, perhaps, but it's not nothing to be frightened about. Believers will always be able to tell who he is when he actually comes, and if it truly is this man of lawlessness, and there will be peace. There will be safety during that time. The world will love him, but it also means that Christ will be on the way, so we should expect it. And finally, number three, the return of Jesus should be prepared for by the church. The return of Jesus should be prepared for by the church. Verse six says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Paul is speaking metaphorically, of course, uh, when you're asleep, you're unaware of what is happening. Think about it. If you were asleep for eight hours a night, when you sleep, let's say you sleep for eight hours, uh, you miss a lot. You know, what can you do in eight hours? Well, you know, you can watch two football games in eight hours. You can watch a couple movies. Uh, You can stream an entire season of a television show. You can drive to the mountains and back. There's a lot you can do in eight hours. But if you're asleep, you're not doing those things, and you have no idea what uh, what other people did during that time. While the rest of the world is sleeping, on the return of Jesus, we are to be awake. Verse seven says, "For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night." Paul is comparing two nighttime activities that are, for lack of a better word, unproductive. Sleeping is productive only in giving your body rest, but you can't do anything while you sleep. Getting drunk is productive in having fun or getting in trouble, but when you're drunk, not much good is happening. Both of these activities occur at night. So whether a person is simply sleeping or if they're out painting a town, both are unaware of what's really going on. Christians are not to be of the night, so to speak. He says in verse 8, But since we belong to the day, Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The Christian life is one where we are awake and sober. The Christian life, uh, we are awake to what is going on in the world. As Christians, we remain sober so that we can interpret what's happening in the world and we can understand it. Furthermore, Paul says we're soldiers. Now, he talks more about this in Ephesians 6. But here we see a glimpse. A soldier has, has two pieces of, ar- or, uh, of armor that protect his most vital organs. A breastplate protects your heart, and other, other organs in there, and a helmet protects your, your head, your brain. Now a spear or now a gunshot uh, to these two areas are usually fatal. Therefore, we have to protect those areas. Now it's no secret that our brain and, and heart are also synonymous with our spiritual lives. The heart is often used in biblical language as the, the seat of our personality. It's who we are and, and how we live. Therefore, uh, we must protect our hearts from the world. Our hearts are are covered with two things. He says they're covered with faith and love. We keep our hearts uh, to have faith in Jesus. Uh, we make our hearts have love for God and others. See, we can prepare for the Lord's return, but in but in so doing and in watching the goings-on of the world, our hearts can turn cold. We can become bitter, what we see happening in the world. Therefore, as we wait for Jesus, we must protect our hearts. But we don't have to just protect our hearts. We have to, to protect our heads. A, a headshot is fatal as well. Paul likens our head, our brain, our mind to where our hope of salvation lies. Our thoughts lie with Jesus. People who quit believing often get shot in the head which makes then their heart stop beating. As Christians, uh, we should prepare our hearts and minds for the return of Christ. Verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is good news. Let's not forget that. We are not destined for judgment. We're not destined for wrath. We are destined for salvation. So the return of Jesus should be an exciting reality for us. In so doing, we see God's grace in verse 10. Jesus who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. See, Paul is pivoting on the awake and the asleep analogy here. And he's referring back to the previous section, uh, last week's sermon about our lives. If we are dead in Christ, it's asleep. Or if we are still alive when Christ comes back, we will all live with him. And he sums this up in verse 11 by saying, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know, it can be easy to get discouraged. I was discouraged this weekend. You know, I missed several weeks. You know, went on vacation, then I was sick, then I came back, and now I'm sick again with something completely different. Uh, I was very discouraged this weekend. I want to be there with you. I want to preach. And uh, I want to talk to you with a mask on and, and <laughs> as safely as possible. And uh, I'm discouraged. COVID cases. Are raging in our area that's discouraging we all know people who who have died from COVID we've seen people young and old alike suffer from it yeah Jesus is coming back our hope is ultimately in him well a local businessman was visiting the local elementary school and he said that he would come back and give a prize to the student whose desk he found in the best order when he returned the the desk with the best organization so naturally the children wanted to know when he would return And the businessman said I can't tell you that just know that I'll return and when I do I will give a prize to the student who has the best desk organized and in order. Well, one little girl who had one of the messiest desks in the class she announced to everyone that she was going to win the prize well they kinda of laughed at her and one said you while well, your desk is never organized, it's never in order. She goes, "Oh, I know, but I'll begin to clean it, and I will, I'm going to clean it every Monday of every week." And someone asked, "But well, what if he comes back on Thursday and Friday?" <laughs> and she said, "Then I'll clean it every morning." And she said, "But what if he comes back at the end of school?" And she, so she thought about it for a sec, for a little bit, and she said, "I know what I'll do. I'll just keep it clean." And that's the Christian life the power of Christ and His grace, we are to, to keep our lives clean. We are to be watching. We are to be waiting. We are to be expecting it and preparing for the return of Christ. And as the unbelieving world, will have no idea it's coming, no idea it's having, happening. We'll see the signs of the times. But the unbelieving world will be and we're living in relative peace. It's our mission to let them know that when Christ comes back, there will be peace for believers, but not for others. That he is coming to to bring judgment but also to bring salvation we need to do our part in telling others about the gospel and telling others about this jesus father in heaven as we close our time together today lord i thank you once again for the advent of modern technology thank you that i'm able to do this and and uh, still be with the people in spirit be with your people. Lord, I thank you so much for First Baptist Church Monks Corner. I thank you for all the, the leaders and the, the members, the attenders, uh, the people who've been coming for 50 years, the people have been coming for six months. Thank you for the special people that you've assembled. First Baptist Monks Corner. I thank you for who they are and you. I, I just thank you for them, Lord. And that we will continue to be a church that's on mission for you continue to be a church that's growing in the spirit and truth of who you are and that we will encourage one another always with the word of Christ encourage one another always with this word today that we've heard so Father as we close our time together today if there's one here that's never placed their faith in you before that they will do so today they will place their faith in the work of the cross that Jesus has performed through his death there was burial, There his resurrection, and they'll be saved. Father, today, maybe someone today is worried about the future. Give them peace. Give them comfort that passes understanding. And let them know that when you do come back, it'll be a wonderful day. It'll be a glorious day. And one that we should be expecting and preparing for. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.